Hello, my fellow fallible humans. Welcome to the Red Roof Recovery Show. This is a program to soften the path of recovery from substance and behavioral addictions. My name is Tanya McIntyre. I've been in recovery myself since 2009, and I have managed to abstain from my drug and alcohol addictions for four years now, since 2018, depending on when you're watching this. We're recording this in 2022. So I just recently celebrated four consecutive years of abstinence. Uh, So there's something to be said about uh, what I'm practicing is something called SMART, self-management and recovery training. And it was founded in 1994 in Mentor, Ohio. It's growing exponentially. It's a secular evidence-based program for addiction recovery and no discrimination. All addictions are welcome. An addiction is an addiction is an addiction. I am joined today by my fantastic husband, Lancelot, Sir Lancelot, I call him. Lance and I have been married for 31 years and I give him all the credit. (laughs) I don't think so. Thank you for sticking by me for uh, 20 of those years when I was mired in drug and alcohol addictions and you stuck with me. So I am truly grateful for that. Truly grateful. well, if I didn't think I was getting something out of it, I wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. So, even while you were mired in your addictions, there was there was still something that I saw in you that was worth sticking around for. Awesome. Thank you. I'm glad. Uh, because, you know, the unconditional self-acceptance has taken me many, many years uh, to reach. And it's something I work on every day, as you know. Um, not only have you lived with me through my addiction now you're living through my recovery <laughs> which is uh you're totally different challenges <laughs> absolutely yes uh reaching a, a point of unconditional acceptance around myself others and life um, i often say that that has been the bedrock of my foundation my solid foundation my path is a lot smoother with those unconditional acceptance pieces of myself, others, and life. Absolutely, positively. Um, If you go to uh, YouTube, which is now the second most watched medium in the world, and you can look for smart recovery, tips and tools for recovery that works videos, and you'll see those three acceptance pieces there. Unconditional self-acceptance, unconditional other acceptance, unconditional life acceptance. And I've also bookmarked them Um, just those acceptance pieces along with the hula hoop tool from smart I've made a playlist on my YouTube channel as well so I can have quick access just to those acceptance pieces because I watch them on a regular basis Uh, for me the difference between feeling better which is you know spontaneous it's a fleeting thing it flux and flow feeling better and getting better two different things Uh, getting better for me happens when I systematically apply and reapply the tools that I have found to work for me. And it's taken me a long time to find those tools. The acceptance pieces around myself, others in life uh, is definitely an integral part of my sustained recovery. So I have those as a playlist. It's an acceptance playlist on my YouTube channel. Um, If you do a search for red roof recovery, you might come up with it. Although I don't have my Uh, vanity URL, because I think you need 100 subscribers for that. So um, if you can find me on YouTube, please subscribe so I can get my my URL, my personalized URL for Red Roof Recovery. 
So, sweetheart, today we are talking about, um, you know, we do harp on acceptance a lot, but you wanted to talk to, because you're bringing a family perspective mm-hmm. into this recovery journey, which people truly appreciate it because for every one person who is suffering with an addiction, there are five uh, family members who are also affected. So yeah. people love listening to you and your experiences. So what I would like to talk about is, as we know, during your uh, recovery, you've faltered on many occasions. Mm-hmm. And from my point of view, what I wonder about is this romantic, nostalgic recollection. Mm-hmm. That you have about um, when you were drinking. Now, the analogy I use is when we have children, we tell them, "Don't touch the the stove; it's hot." But as we all know, as we we were kids once as well, you will touch it at some point, and you'll go, "Ouch, that hurts." Now we don't go five years down the road and go, "I really missed that." hot touch of that thing. I wonder if it's still the same thing. We don't do that. But in your recovery, you've shared the fact with me and people on the thing that that when you were in your addiction, it wasn't pleasant. You felt like you felt terrible every day. You woke up and if you didn't, if you weren't sick, Physically, you just felt physically drained. You didn't start to function until the afternoon when you'd had a couple of drinks. And then by the evening time, you can't remember anything anyway. So when you first come into your um, your recovery, you realise that it's it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't pleasant anymore. You weren't getting any enjoyment out of it, you weren't feeling good and you feel good that you've been able to abstain. And in a year or so, two years, five years later, you go, ah, I really missed that. Now, I don't understand what you missed. And I'm wondering if you could explain where that thought process comes from and what you can do about to to stop that thought process. You seem to have managed it for four years. You don't tend to have the the urges and the, at the moment, nostalgic recollection. So where does it come from and how did you manage to stop it? Two questions. Mm, Good questions, too. Uh, Where does it come from? Well, if we knew that, we'd be able to solve the epidemic of addiction. Uh, I think it's a pandemic, actually, especially after the pandemic that we've lived through for almost three years now. Um, Addiction rates. What's what's the rationale from your perspective as someone who was addicted, gave it up, and then went back to it because of this recollection? What would... What do you tell yourself to get to that point where you take another drink or you take another hit of something? When you I been- tell myself that it's going to be different this time. 
So in 12-step programs, uh, we, we talk about the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, uh, which is what we do when we lapse or relapse. So when I came to Smart Recovery, uh, a few things kind of clicked for me. So SMART is based on cognitive therapies and uh, cognition is thought. So the premise being with cognitive therapies that if we can change how we think, we will change how we feel. And that was a revolutionary concept for me, I think, because uh, I was using drugs and alcohol to uh, either increase pleasure or decrease pain, often both. And I was incapable of managing my emotions. Um, it's just, you know, whether it was from childhood trauma or uh, not maturing at, you know, an emotional level, not sure, but it was an inability for me to manage emotions. It was easier for me to manage my emotions with drugs and alcohol. And what I'm learning more about uh, addiction now is that Chances are I was born with uh, a deficiency in dopamine. A dopamine deficiency is probably how it starts with uh, people who are biologically vulnerable to addiction. And uh, then it's an inability to regulate healthy levels of dopamine. So, you know, I mean, the, the jury is still out on that. There's so very little known around addiction. Uh, all that we do know is that it's a, it's a complex condition. It's a chronic illness. It's a, a mental health disorder, absolutely. Uh, SMART doesn't take a position on whether or not it's a disease. Uh, they just say whether you believe it to be a disease or not, it doesn't matter what you believe. SMART has tools to help you. So I love the fact that um, you know everything I need for my recovery is in here, in the SMART Recovery Handbook. It's less than 100 pages. And it outlines a program of recovery, uh, not unlike 12-step programs. You know, that's, that's the program of recovery. That's the model of recovery with 12 steps. It's 12 steps of recovery. Uh, SMART takes a four-point approach to recovery that you need to learn how to build and maintain your motivation to abstain. So SMART is an abstinence-oriented program, but they're, you know, they say, we'll meet you where you are and help you get to where you want to go, but you need to know where you want to go. And then the second part is where a lot of us falter is managing the urges, learning to deal with the urges. So it starts with craving, right? It's a thought pattern. Craving, it starts with a thought pattern of cravings, and then those cravings can develop into the physical manifestation of the urge. And depending on what the addiction is and how you, you know, process your addiction, what your metabolism does with the addiction, there's all sorts of variables. Um, you know, we, we hear about people who are addicted to, you know, heavier chemicals that they go into a zone where their life depends on getting their next hit. You know, we hear stories of them stealing from their grandmothers and stuff. And there's no question that our prisons are full of people who are there from addiction. Uh, no question. You, so I know, I know, I'm not answering your question, am I? No. Yeah, you, you've told me how the strategies go. Mm -hmm. But you've told me on several occasions and what I've learned from other people is over time, the urges and the, you, you learn to manage 
the triggers and the urges and all that. Yeah. But a significant amount of people still get this nostalgic thing where they go in some, like I say, year, two years, 10 years, where they turn around and they go, that stuff that you used to make me feel like really, really bad, I think I want to try it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that really should... comes from circumstances or situations and not doing the work of whatever program you're following. So the, the third point of smart recovery. So number one, you build and maintain motivation. Number two, you learn how to deal with urges. Number three, you learn how to manage your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors because thoughts, feelings, and behaviors are all connected. I think it actually starts with our language as well, but it's the managing of the thoughts, right? So we have, we humans have this uh, negative default to go to uh, this mindset of negativity. We look at the negative side of things. That's our negative default. It's just a negative narrative that goes in a loop in our head and it keeps rerunning uh, the the stuff from the past. It's just a, a memory. Our brain is a memory bank of the past and it just keeps regurgitating it on a loop. And in cognitive therapies, what I've learned to do by systematically applying and reapplying the tools that I have found to work for me is that I'm now creating new neural networks so that my brain now automatically defaults to a less irrational frame of mind, a more rational frame of mind. So now my default is more rational. And I think I credit that to the cognitive therapies that I've learned through SMART and uh, doing the work, showing up, I'm immersed in the work because it's my vocation now as well, which is helpful. So I think do, you know, doing the work, uh, systematically applying and reapplying these tools that I've found to work for me is, in, is crucial. That's, that's, I think, where the rubber hits the road. You've got to make sure you're doing something every day to maintain that motivation. So uh, you don't succumb to the romantic recollections that uh, this time it will be different so let's talk about prior to you finding smart Mm -hmm. did did relapse was it that you got to a point and you just thought well i'm cured or was it there were triggers that you couldn't handle and you i think yeah and you thought well this used to numb me and i want to numb this so I'll use that again. Or was it the fact that I beat this and I'm, you know, I'm not feeling that good, but I can just do this for tonight to forget about it and I'll just won't do it again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Is it a combination? Is it one thing? What is that, that thought process from your point of view? I think it's a complex process. It's different for everyone. Uh, For me, it was exactly that. First of all, it was my unwillingness to accept uh, my condition. Um, I never wanted to be considered abnormal, right? So we live in a society um, that has defined alcohol intake. Certainly, we were just talking about this earlier on a meeting today about how um, back in the 70s, we all used to smoke in our house. Mm Right. You could go you could go into a dining room and everybody be smoking if there'd be ashtrays on the table in the 90s. Um, Pardon? Into the 90s. Into the 90s. Right. And it's just so absurd to think of that now. 
because it was so normalized. And we, you know, if you watched anything on TV, people were smoking. And so that, that's pretty much um, our society now has decided that smoking is not good for us anymore. And even though they used to have doctors advertising it as being good for you. And, <laughs> and now we're left with, um, you know, an equally poisonous substance still legalized, still accepted as, uh, you know, a normal part of consumption to socialize. And, you know, where the messages are reinforced that it's a good way to unwind and uh, relieve stress after work. We see it all the time. If you're watching movies, you know, people go out for a beer to celebrate. They're uh, toasting at weddings. They're having wine with dinner. It's just something that's part of a normal society. So when you're unable to do those things, you feel flawed, abnormal. Who wants to feel flawed and abnormal? So for me, I kept telling myself that I could kick this. I can be cured. If I just abstain long enough, I'll be okay. Then I can go back to having a glass of wine with dinner. And, you know, as we say in 12 steps, how much evidence do you need? Everybody who would lapse and relapse in 12 steps, we'd say, oh, you went out looking for more evidence, right? And we'd just laugh at each other and you know, I still go to 12-step meetings because I love the peer support. The people are really beautiful in 12-step programs. And I, I love their slogans. I use them a lot. Take what you need and leave the rest. Oh, and we're all trying to do the same thing. We're all trying to manage this stinking thinking. And cognitive therapy works for me. And in 12-step programs, when I would lapse and relapse, the reason I went looking for something else is because a lot of my peers in 12 steps weren't coming back from their lapses and relapses. And I knew it was just going to be a matter of time before I didn't. Yeah. Well, as you've spoken about, um, from the, from the other point of view, from this side of the screen, when you say, yeah, I've got this romantic thing and I need this to sort this out. It's not very romantic from this point, this side of the screen. I bet. No. Like we to watch our loved and, ones going through that is excruciating, I'm sure. Yeah. And this is where the the whole mindset of not understanding, because we never saw, especially in the if your addiction got to a point where it was becoming very unmanageable, I could not see you getting any enjoyment from your addiction. Mm. All I saw was the pain. There never seemed to be any, any addiction, uh, any joy, right? And I, you know, from from my experience, when you were in your throes of your addiction, it could be embarrassing. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of. I think the worst part was when people look, used to give you a look of they were they were sorry for you that I'd have to be with you out with you because you were doing stuff and I didn't have the tools to help you not realizing at the time that I couldn't help you yeah that that's my journey getting to the point where the realization that 
didn't matter what I did. Like it was your journey. And all I could do was be there if you needed me. You had to come to a realization that mm, this wasn't sustainable. As you said, yeah, you know, I'm going to kill this or it's going to kill me. Mm -hmm. That's basically what it came down to. Yeah. And I know I've told you this several times, Lance. I'm just so sorry what uh, you lived through with me. Uh, no. Being there. Thanks for sticking. No, it's, uh, I mean, every, everything is a learning experience. Everything, even though it makes us feel not very good at times, and like what I am now is a combination of different experiences. And one of those experiences is being with you through these traveling times when you were embroiled in your addiction and. I was looking for answers as much as you were. Yes, yeah, sadly, there's not a lot of help out there for the family members and friends of people who are living with loved ones who are addicted. No, the, um, the, the, again, this is just my perspective. The, the journey that the, the family member, the friend goes on is one of as you put it, acceptance. Mm. Accepting that we've got to look after ourselves because your favorite airplane analogy, if I'm not in a good space, when you turn around and say, I need help. If I'm not in a good space, I can't help you. So the whole realization that I'm, I have to look after me. Now that sounds selfish, I know. To a lot of people, that would sound selfish to say, well, I've got to exclude you from the thing because there's nothing I can do about you and I've got to work on me. But if you come to the realisation that whatever I did wasn't going to stop you drinking. And I came to that realisation that I tried everything. I tried being supportive. I tried giving you advice. I tried not threatening you, but you know, cajoling you to stop and nothing worked because you weren't ready. And once I came to that realization, there are only two things, work on myself and accepting this is a situation and I'm willing to stay in it or leave. Mm -hmm. it, it tends to be for me that, that black and white. Yeah. And your cost-benefit analysis that you love to do that I used to do in my head was always the calculation. If I leave, what do I lose? Mm -hmm. And is it worth the leaving? Yeah. And lucky enough, it always comes to the point that, hello, drinkers. <laughs> um, <laughs> it always comes to it always fell on the side that favoured us staying together. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to bring up the Buddha um, meme here. And it says there are three solutions to every problem. Accept it, change it, or leave it. If you can't accept it, change it. If you can't change it, leave it. And, you know, that's 
that's very true. Look, like all the pictures that are on my laptop, for those watching the video, you can see on my laptop, uh, all of my socialization was uh, definitely around drinking, for sure. Everyone's was. Mm -hmm. And still is. I mean, we live in a, now, we tend to mix in, in the company that doesn't drink because that's where we are. But when we were drinking, I mean, they were all. Oh, that's me. All, all of our, all of our socialisation was alcohol driven, as you said. Mm -hmm. Go to a christening, you have a drink. Go to a marriage, you have a drink. Go to a funeral, you have a drink. Get a new job, have a drink. Lose a job, have a drink. Mm -hmm. So the, the acronym that uh, is thrown around a lot in recovery meetings is um, FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. When we're looking at the cost-benefit analysis, we're looking at the, what are the benefits of our addiction? What are the costs of our addiction? And then what are the benefits of not having our addiction and the costs of not having our addiction? And of course, the costs are the FOMO, fear of missing out. How do I live? How do I socialize without my addiction because that's you know i mean alcohol is called social lubricant for a reason so getting to a point where you you have to learn how to live a life again that creates new habits new distractions new beliefs new mindsets new thoughts it's a, it's a relearning process absolutely and, and some people new prefer to isolate around that for especially early in recovery i did too i just avoided things where I felt I was going to be vulnerable. I just wouldn't go out to social functions. I remember. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then I decided I would take an accountability partner with me. Uh, you know, so there's other things that you can learn how to do in life. For me now, I don't even think about drinking and drugging anymore. Um, and I'm so grateful because for eight years in 12 step meetings, that's all I thought about. <laughs> was the deprivation never, I was feeling for not having my drugs and alcohol. You've never been this immersed in recovery. Though. This is true. I think you've got to do something every day. It doesn't, you know, recovery doesn't take a long time. It takes a persistent willingness to exert consistent efforts to help yourself. And for me, doing this now as a vocation, um, I think for sure is a contributing factor and doing the work every day. So I spend, you know, at the very least uh, 10 minutes on my self-care during the day with affirmations and uh, unconditional self-acceptance, self-love. You know, I still do the mirror exercise uh, from Louise Hay, rest her soul. Uh, the, you know, the hardest thing we do in a lifetime is learn how to love ourselves because it's beaten out of us from the time we're born. So I do look in the mirror and say, I love you. I really, really love you and you're worth it. You're worth the effort. Took me a long time to get there. Oh, I'm glad you're there. Mm -hmm. You don't, yeah, I know you're not crazy, but that whole mirror exercise. I've never had a problem loving, liking myself. <laughs> you need to write a book about that. That might be something narcissistic. <laughs> Maybe I've got different problems. So I don't even think we even, I, did I answer your, all your questions? I don't think I did. Yeah. We've only got a couple of minutes left. I, I think that the uh, 
the upshot of it is we don't really know. We don't know what triggers the brain of the person with the addiction to think, ah, it's a good idea that we go back and do this again. Mm -hmm. Try and get more evidence. Yeah. We don't know why it happens. I think it's just retraining the brain. For me, it's just been retraining my brain to go into now my default way of thinking is a, a rational way of thinking. And it took me a couple of years to get there for sure. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Lots a lot. You're welcome. My everything. Love. I so love your contribution to the show. Thank you. And thank you for being here, contributing 30 minutes of your life to listen to us. Um, please check out my books. I've got two of them, Mindful Wisdom and Daily Wisdom from my philosopher dad. Uh, he was an extraordinary man who raised me as a single father while struggling with his own addictions. And you can get that, those on amazon.ca. And if you would like to be a guest on the show, or if you know someone who would qualify for our unique one week recovery program, email me at redriverrecovery at gmail.com. There is great power in knowing that the only thing we can control in life is ourselves, right? It's great to feel that power. So let's, uh, let's start talking to ourselves like we talk to our best friends. May the force be with you. And remember, you are the force. Thanks for being here.